So we've come to uh, the, the next sermon in the series of the disciples, and this is uh, called Follow and Learn. And today we look at two particular words, it's not these two, um, but it is to do with following and learning. And these two words are called follow me, or follow me. And they're not just what they look like, these words are not just uh, as they're read. They have so much depth to them uh, that when you get into the verses where Jesus uses them uh, and how he uses them and what each word means as he uses them, it's just a bit of a revelation. It's just amazing what he's actually asking the disciples to do uh, as he teaches them. Uh, But these two words ultimately would tie together the core of what Jesus was teaching about being a disciple. So first it meant... Uh, to follow Jesus the person, to follow him as he went about his earthly ministry, to follow him everywhere he went, to learn about him and his ultimate mission on earth. Secondly, it meant to follow the path of Jesus. To follow Jesus would ultimately mean that we would learn how to walk the same path of Jesus in our life today after the resurrection. But in both instances, the meaning of this word, he would teach the disciples and us about the cost of following him and that they could trust him. And this is where we're looking, what we're looking at today. So we're going to look at two verses in particular. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 19. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And obviously different translations, different fishers of men, whatever, all different translations, which is fine. And then Matthew 16, 24, we're also looking at, then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So this is what we're looking at. Matthew 4 to begin with. Matthew 4 verse 19. The context of the call in Matthew 4 is set in a time where it was customary for rabbis to have followers. At the time, this calling to future disciples was not out of the ordinary. So when Jesus stood on the shore and or when he spoke to the disciples and and said this, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. It wasn't actually unusual to try and get people to follow you in, in teaching them and teaching them about God and who he, who he is. It wasn't radical for Jesus to be saying this. Jesus was actually offering a quite traditional method of teaching. He learned and how they did it, and, and actually he, he then carried on the same structure. The difference, however... The difference was that Jesus was no normal rabbi. He was not another rabbi in that sense. And so little did the uh, the disciples know that they, or understand, that what Jesus was doing was saying, I'm going to teach you to do as I do. And normally you'd probably get the idea that if you think of rabbis, what they'd normally have is just teaching constantly, teaching people, and there's always a sense that um, there's... They don't have that same mission, as it were, I would say, my own personal view of how this works, because Jesus is going to go to the cross, he's going to die, go back to the Father, and so he's getting them ready to go and teach, to go and teach others and tell others about Jesus. As we look in Matthew 4, into, further into the chapter, we see this in 23 and 24, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. 
News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill uh, with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralysed, and he healed them. What we see in action uh, as Jesus goes around and does this, so this is immediately after he calls the disciples, he goes around and does all these amazing miracles, all these amazing things. And what we see is that Jesus is in action. Jesus is doing, and the disciples are just following him and watching him. They're watching exactly what he's doing. And what he does over the next few chapters is all about following him in the sense of watching and being around him. And this might seem quite obvious as you read it. You may remember that there's the Sermon on the Mount that follows this. And so there is just this string of things that Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people. Maybe you understand what this might mean. But what might not be obvious is the first principle that Jesus is teaching. Jesus going ahead and being ahead of the disciples. Why that picture? So often um, I'm quick to want to find a solution to a problem. I see a problem and I want it solved. I see an issue and I tread on some toes because I'm determined to find a solution. But often this approach is more like finding a problem to a solution. Normally I cause more problems when I rush in to find a solution to a problem. And then I get caught up in saying, well, I've got a solution and then I keep tinkering with the solution until I break the solution and cause another problem. Yeah. Often I've found my solutions to problems have been overly complex and burdensome. Often. I managed to find ways to make my life harder and only discover that after I revisit my awful handiwork. I think I go back a month later and I think if it's a bit of DIY or something like that, I think, why did I do that? That makes no sense at all. It's interesting, that's how our relationship is with God sometimes, isn't it? We rush in, I've got a solution, I'm going to fix it straight away. And then we think back, it could be a few weeks later, and think, why did I do that? That hasn't actually helped anybody. And you must have had that moment where you spent hours on a problem only to find that you had, had you not jumped in with two feet, you could have found an easier way to solve it that was staring you in the face all along. Many occasions I've had of that. It's a lifelong struggle for me, personally. But the disciples, they show us an example of this. When Jesus feeds the 5,000, before the moment disciples, before that moment, the disciples jump in, firstly with the problem and then the solution. Matthew 14. Here is the problem, say the disciples. Matthew 14, verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Speaking to Jesus, they've put a problem to him. There's no food anywhere. A remote place, they're always posing a problem. And before anything can be said, they come up with a solution. Same verse. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. 
good old disciples. I think it's interesting to understand something here. What we just read before is the disciples have just been hanging around with Jesus and watching him, and he's just healed a whole bunch of people. Like all different types, all different ailments, people that were probably written off in terms of what they could do then. And he comes along and the disciples are watching this and he's healing people and he's, he's doing all sorts of people. And then suddenly the disciples get all caught up in the moment. But we might say, they've just been seeing these amazing miracles. Asking Jesus to provide the catering would be a cinch. And we can say that now because we know what's going on. But of course, we would also do the same as the disciples. Because what we'd never, not really take into account is the moment, the atmosphere, the environment that you're standing in. Suddenly the immediacy of what's going on hits them. And all that stuff they've just been learning, the initial things they've hearing him on the Sermon on the Mount as well, that all goes out the window. Suddenly, there's practical things to take care of. That's me too. Getting into the weeds a bit too much. We do it today. Where Jesus calls on us to trust him in times of trouble and problems, what do we do? We try to do it all on our own because of the immediacy of the moment, because the moment demands that we should provide a solution. What looks like digging ourselves out is in fact digging ourselves deeper into trouble. And what's the reason for this? Why do we do that? Why do the disciples end up doing this? Say so because most times we get dragged into the weeds of the moment. We trust Jesus eternally, but we struggle to trust him momentarily. Does that make sense? From moment to moment, we struggle with that, don't we? I struggle with it. But eternally, I can say, I trust Jesus. I know he has a plan, and I know where I'm going. But moment to moment, I struggle. Here is the point. Jesus went ahead of the disciples to show that they could trust him in any situation. They didn't have to do anything necessarily before this moment. Just watch, follow, and learn. He showed them great miracles, taught them through the Sermon on the Mount in preparation for this moment and others to build their trust in him. What we need to understand, sounds quite harsh to begin with, is that Jesus, he doesn't need the disciples to perform his ministry. He doesn't need them. As if somehow he is incapable of carrying out the work of the kingdom on his own. This is God on earth. He doesn't need them to get to the cross as if God is incapable of walking his own path to the saddest but greatest moment of all eternity. But I don't want Jesus to need me. I want Jesus to want me. Need just doesn't fill it for me. Need just doesn't sound right in who Jesus is. Jesus can do all things and is all-powerful above all things. So instead, he wants us. He invites us to come and follow him. He invited the disciples and wanted them to follow him because he's going to be the only worthy God that they can and we can trust. 
God wants. There must be, I'm trying to think of even just even a couple of verses where there is never a time where God says, I need you. I need you. He says, I want you. I invite you. Even in this one account of feeding the 5,000, we can see this appeal from Jesus to the disciples. This principle of to follow me, you must trust me. To trust me, you must believe in me. And so he goes on and then we, we get to this next verse, Matthew fourteen seventeen. He tells them before this, go and feed the people with what you've got. Hang on a minute. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. And now there's no solution because Jesus has taken away their great idea about sending the people away. So now they're like, well, what do we do? You see them getting, they're getting taken away from this thing that Jesus is trying to teach them, the principle of trusting in him, even seeing those miracles. And here is that killer line. Verse 18 says, bring them here to me. In this one verse alone, it's just so much is tied up in what the disciples are about to do. In, in, in maybe in some ways they don't understand what they're going to do when they give the food to Jesus. But here's what they're doing. They're giving him the last supplies they have. They're giving him the last things that they have, earthly, worldly. The only thing they must be thinking is, how is that going to feed 5,000 people? But in the end, the action of giving Jesus their last supplies is actually an action of trust. The Bible talks often about giving our possessions. The principle is trust. We can talk about whether we give them to people, but actually this is about a principle of trusting him. Do we trust him with everything we have? The fact that we have it is only because of him. The fact we have anything is only because of him. The fact we can breathe is only because of him. And the only reason they can do that is because at some level they believe in him. In fact, I don't think they even realise they did actually believe in Jesus to follow him even before this moment. There's like a subconscious trust going on that they don't really understand at the moment. But they've done it already. Matthew 4, verse 20. At once they left their nets and followed him. This is when he called them. And then after that moment, they dropped their nets and then they followed him. Understand the impact of what this means, because this is probably overlooked. At a calling from the shore to a couple of fishermen, the future disciples left their livelihood in a moment's notice. That, that's what they do. They, their net, that's, that's everything to them. They catch the fish, they sell it, they make money, they buy their own food, they buy food for their family, they provide for all their family. It would practically feed them, clothe them. But they left their nets and followed him. What actually Jesus was teaching, even before they followed him, 
was to deny themselves and trust him. In this, in this very action, this one verse, there is a denial of self. They denied themselves because it's not about the nets or the, the job that's providing for them. It's Jesus. It's God. So they take this step of faith in that moment and what we see as they go, there's constantly this struggle with Jesus that they don't really understand what he's doing. But actually, subconsciously, there's a trust building up with Jesus. Some of their actions, they may not realise, are a trust in him. But they would then continue to be taught the cost of following Jesus. Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, it's always important to bring in the fullness of what Jesus God is offering. What does he offer to those that come to him? But it's simply not about feeling a little bit better. It's not about life uh, in that I feel happier. Actually, he says, this whole life will be a challenge. If you follow me, you will have to leave behind the life you had before. Now, that can take form in many ways. That's habits that we do and certainly sinful things that we're, we've, got to, we've got to leave behind and say, I'm going to give this to Jesus. And that might be a daily thing. It is a daily thing to keep offering it back to him. but Jesus makes no bones about what the cost is to follow him. In his grace, Jesus spent so much time showing us that he is God. He is above all things. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. He wanted to show them. He wanted to show us. But this comes with a cost. Not because we are worse off, but because we end up better off. But in the world and the context that we live in, that's quite hard to see sometimes. It's hard to understand, well, how is it better? How am I better off if I have to deny myself and live for someone else? You might get this type of questioning from people who are not Christians or wanting to explore what Christianity is. And for that we speak of, this isn't all there is. But whilst we're here, we have a mission. We need to be careful that we don't, we, don't picture, we don't put Jesus forward as some kind of, you'll see him later, something will happen later on and that's it. Actually now, Holy Spirit tells us our mission, what are we doing before we go and see him and worship him into eternity? What is our mission? For that amazing treasure that is beyond all earthly, Jesus calls us to do one thing. He says, follow me in a way that I am your number one priority. As Jesus gives us unconditional love, so he calls on us to unconditionally follow him. It's tricky wording here, because what I'm not saying is that Jesus sets down conditions to love him to be accepted by him. It's very specific wording. 
He calls on us to unconditionally follow him. Remember, this is a teaching and then a following. We're copying what Jesus is doing. So as he unconditionally loves us, we unconditionally are called on to love him. This, more than anything, is shown in Luke 9, 57-62. So as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus does not hold back. But let me tell you just quickly what this all means. These specific verses. The cost of following Jesus is not about not having a home. Not what he's saying. It's not about not burying people when they have died. It's not about not caring about your family. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Because it would go against who he is. So he's not talking about, he's talking about a principle. Who is your number one? What is your number one? What Jesus talks about here is the idolatry of those things. Are we applying conditions to follow Jesus? I'll follow you, Jesus, but first. I'll follow you, Jesus, but first. Conditional. These instances in these verses ask us to hold strong and true to Jesus in the light of life happening around us. This last verse about ploughing a field is a picture of a ploughed field. You'll notice the straight lines, the dead straight lines ahead. And in that day, a farmer would keep the rows straight by focusing on an object in front of them. And that would be a tree. So they would keep in focus a tree and they would just keep looking at the tree as they ploughed the ground. If the farmer started to plough and kept looking behind, he would never make straight rows and do a good job ploughing. In fact, the plough was so light that if their hand was not firmly on it, it would bounce around. If suddenly they're looking around, suddenly they can't, there's no, there's no target, there's no focus. And so it required firm holding of the plough. In our Christian life, we keep our eyes on Jesus in front of us and never take our eyes off him. We need to keep a firm hold of our lives under Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The reason why I'm showing you this verse is because it's certainly the last part of this verse. What God is asking us to do, what Jesus is asking us to do, is keep focused on him as we live our lives. Now what comes in the middle of that is spiritual attack. What comes in the middle of that are distractions. Wanting us to look away, to be distracted by something else. So we take every thought captive as we are tempted 
to take our eyes off Jesus. And I'm going to give that thought to him. We are in the middle of spiritual warfare. So we need to hold him as absolute focus, without condition on our earthly life working out well and tying everything up here beforehand. In the same way, before we believed in God, he had every right to make us live up to the law and apply conditions before we could be sufficient. Every right to do that. But he didn't. Because through Jesus, while we were still sinners, completely unentitled to be part of God's family, Christ died for us. Without condition. He didn't hang on the cross and tell those that were jeering him, you better love me first. He didn't. He died for those that were against him. That's everybody. Making it possible for us to receive forgiveness and accept it into the kingdom as we were. No getting ready. No let me, let me get myself smart, put a tie on. No. He says, I know what's behind that tie. I know what's behind that nice dress. You don't need to pretend in front of me. Come as you are. Romans 5, verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If we are to follow Jesus and learn who we are to become, then we must learn to trust unequivocally, unconditionally, momentarily and eternally. And I'm going to tell you that lesson doesn't end. But with every moment that we do trust him, we learn a little bit more. With every moment that we put moments to him and say, Lord, deal with that moment, I trust in you to bring the solution. We learn a little bit more. And moments become a little bit easier. Yeah, there's going to be days when we feel right horrible (laughs) about life and about the world around us. But what will happen is that there'll be a, a reminder about who God is and what Jesus did. And you'll say, but I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to be like that because I am a new creation in him. And I'm no longer a slave. Certainly not to sin. A free slave to righteousness. How does that make any sense? Free in slavery contradiction of the freedom in Christ. You are free, but we submit to him. He is our master. Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of following. He loved us and gave himself for us. Follow me means there is the path and there is the person, there is the suffering and there is the sweetness. Jesus has shown us more than enough reasons to trust him more than enough reasons than we deserve. 10,000 reasons, and then some. So the question is, are we ready to follow him and make him the focus above all things, whatever the cost? Because that's what Jesus calls on us to do. 
from moment to moment, big and small, there are costs involved. Certain parts of our life we may need to leave behind. We may need to say, I can no longer do that because it goes against my path of Jesus. But grace, grace is abounding. And we have time in this moment to give it back to God and say, Lord, how do I follow you more closely than I did yesterday? How do I not repeat that same thing that didn't honour you? How do I not repeat that same action that didn't honour you? Teach me, Lord. I'm going to pray and then we'll say a blessing together. Father, we just want to thank you that you had a plan from the start to redeem all your people. All people that want to be redeemed, who want salvation, can say the words with a convicted heart, ask for repentance, and it will be given. And Lord, we thank you that none of us and no one is beyond your reach. We thank you for grace that enables everyone to be reached. And Lord, we thank you that we have the choice that we can choose, that it is a choice to love you, that it is a choice to want to follow you. Lord, we thank you that this faith is not a religion in the sense of a repetitive action over and over again. Lord, we thank you that this faith is growing us, teaching us how to be more like Christ every day in preparation for the day either you return or we will meet you in the air. Whenever that comes, Lord, we prepare ourselves today. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and loving. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can go about our lives in the midst of grace. Lord, will you show us how to share that with people we will encounter this week? How do we share that love and grace that you have for your people? We ask these things in your holy name. Amen.